Well, we are in a uh, series on prayer, and last week Troy, Troy talked about confession, and today we're going to talk about praise and thanks, and more specifically, I really just want to kind of zero in on praise. We could probably do an entire, another message just on thanks, so I'm going to kind of zero in on, on, on praise today, and talk about all of the, some of the assumptions that we have when we come, when you think about praise. Uh, some of the experiences that we have, whether in church or outside, that start to define this word for us. And, uh, and so we're just, we want to just have kind of an honest dialogue and conversation about it. So before we do that, why don't you just join me in praying for our time together. <clears throat> God, thank you for this time that we have. Uh, we know that we, our time here on earth is, is limited and that you have us here for a specific reason. Uh, with an ultimate goal of bringing you glory. And so, God, I just pray that our time here would be an act of praise, that our conversation, as as honest uh, and as vulnerable as it needs to be, would reflect the true uh, truth of who we are and the truth of who you are, God. So we confess to you right now that, that you are God and we are not, and we need you desperately. We need you here in this place. And so uh, meet us here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Real quick, I just have to tell a, a quick little story. I, um, I got this hat in Nashville, and I have a gigantic head, and no hat ever fits. And so they had this little hat shop, and we bought a hat, and it actually fit my head, so I'm like wearing it out. <laughs> and so you're just kind of subject to that. And it was funny, I got, a, I got a text from Stephanie Smith actually back here saying like, I didn't know that we could wear hats in church. That's awesome. Thanks. You. And you said you were going to wear a hat, and you didn't. But anyway. Next week. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, just a kind of a silly thing, but Danny, actually, and, you know, Danny, our tech director, I pulled up in the parking lot the other day, and he opens his windows and is blaring out of his stereo ACDC's Back in Black when I, I walked down the park, parking lot with this thing. Because you know, for those of you who don't know, you see the, the lead singer always wore a hat like this. He's like, you got to roll up your sleeves and go around. I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> anyway, that really has nothing to do with anything. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. Uh, so when we start talking about praise, uh, let's just real quick, uh, let's just kind of do popcorn. We're interactive here, okay? Uh, I, this, this is definitely meant to be a conversation, not a lecture, so... When I say the word praise, what comes to your mind? Go. Worship dogs? <laughs> we need to talk. No. <laughs> God. Okay. Yes, that's good. <laughs> what else? God singing. Compliments. His word. Grandeur. Grandeur. Happy. Worship, love. love. I heard. Give thanks. Joy. This is awesome. You guys are great. We, we can pack it up and go home. You pretty much have defined it incredibly well. If we want a... Uh, uh, I think the reason why I even do that is because I think there are going to be some differences in, in the way we perceive and the way we interact, we've been just with this word praise. We hear it talked about in scripture all the time, and we, you know, we read that psalm, and it says praise all throughout it, and yet uh, we approach it kind of differently. And is that okay? And is that acceptable? Is there one way, a right way, and a wrong way to praise God? Is there a prescribed way? 
Uh, and so, if you're anything like me, you may feel uh, some tension around, because I know somebody over here said that when they think of praise, they think of happy or they think of joy. And, and I do too, and almost to a fault, because I think sometimes I go to a point of saying like, if I'm not feeling happy, then it's hard for me to praise. It's hard for me to find the inspiration and the motivation to praise. And I start to, it starts to create tension in my own soul over how I approach God because I go, man, I look at the world and I see so much junk and I see stuff that's breaking around me. I see stuff that's broken within me. And, and it's hard to reconcile it to then say, okay, I'm going to praise God. And it feels like this feat of willpower more than it does a honest expression of recognizing who he is. And so what do I do with that? Uh, what, a story in, or it's really a psalm, it's not really a story, in Scripture is Habakkuk. Habakkuk uh, 3, 2 through 19. If you want to read that, you can. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to, because I want to keep moving. But he basically starts off, the first few lines are beautiful. He just says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And he goes on this long dictation describing that tension of kind of the good and bad that's around him. You know, and even says, were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its wave. It's beautiful poetry. And speaking to that tension. And the part that I really resonated with is, is verses 16 through 19. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will patiently wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So basically what he's saying is, I'm poor, I'm hungry, I'm broken, I'm being attacked, and yet I will praise the Lord. I want that. I want that kind of heart and insight and perspective. And so we're going to just kind of walk through some uh, basic questions. So like we already did, what is praise? What is it? If you want to look at the, the textbook definition, it says this. It says, the act of expressing approval or admiration, commendation, laudation, the offering of grateful homage in words or song as an act of worship, a hymn of praise to God, the state of being approved or admired. The king lived in praise for many years. And so many of you were absolutely right on, and yet there was still even more. If you want to see a biblical definition, I think the one that we could use, because again, there are many that we could use in Scripture to say this is an accurate depiction of what does it mean to praise God. But I think this really boils it down. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and with 
And love your neighbor as yourself. Easy enough, right? <laughs> I, I think, I know, my tendency as I interact with God and as I interact with others, I use ors instead of ands. I say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart or with all your soul or with all your strength or with all your mind or love your neighbor as yourself. And because it's easier to compartmentalize it. It's easier to say, I'm going to engage my mind right now and I'm just going to study and I'm going to memorize and I'm going to know. And that will be my, you know, act of praise or service or devotion to God. Or I'm going to use all my strength and so I'm going to go build an orphanage or whatever it might be. But the truth is it's all. I mean, he's, he's, he's asking for all of us, all aspects of, of how we were created to be in love with him and the responses of our mind, of our heart, of our soul, and of our strength are ones of love, of being in love with our Savior. Here's a quote by Donald Miller that just says, And if these mountains had eyes, they would wake to find two strangers in their fences, standing in admiration as a breathing red pours its tinge upon earth's shore. These mountains, which have seen untold sunrises, long to thunder praise, but stand reverent, silent, so that man's weak praise should be given God's attention. For whatever reason, we were given the, 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 the phrase, very good, in the creation story. He created the waters and the land and the space and the earth and all that, and he said it was good. And then he created man and said, it is very good. Have any of you ever been to the ocean? Have you ever started to try to wrap your head around the ocean? It will blow your mind because it just seems infinite and endless and overwhelming. And you, know, you start to try to do like calculation how many gallons are in here. And then you start to go think about all the stuff that's in it. All the plant life and all of the, uh, the animals and, and stuff that hasn't even fully been discovered yet. And that was, yeah, that was good. And then he created us. He created humans and said, this is very good. This is what I want to hear resounding praise back to the creator. In scripture, it says that even the rocks will cry out. And yet he is longing and looking for our praise. Interesting. So why? So why praise? I really think that this boils down to a, a there's, there's a lot of things that start to entangle our thinking. First and foremost, sin. I am a sinner. I still continue to sin. I am grateful and literally forever grateful for the fact that Christ died on the cross so that I can have a relationship with, you, with him and be forgiven of that sin. And yet, I still have this stuff. You know the phrase, the sin that so easily entangles? We come into this place with this kind of mixed bag of stuff, of experiences and expectations and disappointments and, uh, that is wrapped up in truth 
and in lies. And we start to prescribe that onto our experiences, whether it's with people or with uh, church or whatever it might be. And so we were designed to praise God. That's some of that like ocean thing where it's like I can't even I can't even wrap my head around how crazy awesome the ocean is and yet we are what is considered very good. He sees us as more marvelous and more wonderful than the ocean. And I think we sometimes because of our you know culminated experiences and all that we start to view praise as a religious experience or a demand from God, uh, you know, a de- the, uh, because he's holy and so he demands praise because he's perfect, uh, and it becomes this kind of transactional, we talked about that last week too, like a transactional thing, where it's like, oh yeah, okay God, you're great, and so uh, I'm going to make sure to try to do better and praise you more, and because uh, I know I'm not worthy and, and all that. As opposed to saying that I have been designed to. So that means all the things that convince me that I can't, and whether this is an expression in terms of like how you do it or whatever, are actually pointing more to the bundle of stuff that I've been dragging with me. So whether that's expectations from, from other, maybe other experiences you've had with church that told you this is what you can or cannot do, uh, I don't know. Uh, last week, Troy talked about this. Jesus' death on the cross frees us from the penalty of sin. His resurrection frees us from the power of sin. And when we get to join him in heaven, we will be freed from the presence of sin. This is kind of that equation that, that I'm trying to describe in terms of saying, like, I've been forgiven of my sin. It has no hold over me, and yet I'm still tangled up in it because I have not been removed from the presence of it yet. And so uh, another way to, to look at this too is that, is that in our uh, sin and those things that tangled up, we try to make praise this transactional thing, and we get locked into our heads about how we think we could start to do it. And not only do we get locked into our head, we start to then become uh, a little judgmental. Um, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll just say this is me. I've done this. I'm sure none of you have ever, ever done this before. Uh, I've been in, whether it maybe it's other churches or other denominations and been in part of their worship services, and their expressions were different. And then it, and, it, and it made me feel maybe, maybe uncomfortable because I start to play this game of like, are, are you, are, is that okay to do that? Should they, be, should they be dancing like that? Or is it, is that not, is, we start, I start to do this thing of like judging whether or not it really is God or not. Or whether or not it's like, ah, that, you know, I think that's just more sensationalism. They're just trying to bring attention to themselves. And I start to be, try to become the like, judge and jury of evaluating praise that people are offering to God. And so I can get locked into my head. Uh, an experience that I had uh, when I was in California, in, uh, 
Actually, right along where Derek's going to be going to church, the church that he goes to, there's this big canyon right behind that church that uh, um, has these foothills, and there's like a jogging path up along the top of it, and in between the foothills, you can see through to the ocean, and, and I was sitting up there praising, and I, had been, and I was praying to God, but I, was, I had been going to school, I had been going to seminary, and so I'm getting my head literally crammed full of stuff, and I was, and it was, and I loved it. I loved the classroom. I was being challenged in so many different ways, and it was really powerful. And so I sat up on this hill, and I started to regurgitate big words that I was, they had been learning about God. And trying to like make that like, I, I know these things about you, God, and so therefore I'm going to describe them back to you. And, and I got so, like, I got convicted in the moment, even, where it was like, it was almost like God was saying, like, I, I know I'm omniscient. I know I'm omnipresent, but what are you doing? <laughs> like, what, are you, what are you trying to do right now? And so I just said, you know what, God? You're right. I, I know a lot of stuff about you, but do I really know you? Do I really love you? And so I'm just going to stop talking. And I, and I sat there. I sat there for probably 30 or 40 minutes and, and just didn't say anything. And I just observed creation and just sat there. And, and, and I wish I could say that there was like this, this loud, audible voice that then began to speak to me. There wasn't. I think if anything, it was, it was a beautiful moment with just the creator and his creation just being together, just sitting there and, and not trying to like have to, not trying to prove something to God. Like, see, I know I learned something new about you, so therefore I'm better. Because uh, what happens when we get locked into our head in terms of how we then start to approach God in praise, we start to feel like we're doing God a favor. We start to approach him as if we're saying like, hey, creation, good job. Seriously. That was awesome. And when the offering plate comes around, I'll give you a tip. Because, I mean, you, you, you keep up with this good stuff, seriously. And I'm making fun of that, and it probably feels a little awkward to do that. But when you get locked in your head, you get removed from the heart. And it starts to become this transactional thing of evaluating and, whether, and seeing whether or not it's, it, it measures up to something or not. Versus how do you describe just sitting with somebody when they're sick? You can't describe to them all the things that's, you know, that, that may be true in terms of heaven or anything like that. And it may, may help, it may not. You, uh, you may try to convince them that it's like your body's just a shell and this sickness has no, you know, power over you. And that may have some effect, but honestly, just being there, just connecting with them, Sharing in pain, sharing in suffering, sharing in hope. That's being connected. Uh, Matt Chandler has a little quote about this idea of using your head to try to praise God. Oops. He says, choosing one thing over another doesn't necessarily mean that we love the thing we choose. If given the choice to eat spinach or broccoli, you may choose broccoli. It may only mean you don't want to eat spinach. Heaven is not for people who just want to skip hell. Heaven is reserved for those who love Jesus, who have been rescued by him, 
and who long to praise him. If someone doesn't have much use for praising him now, it's foolish to think that they're ready for heaven. Yeah, ouch. Scripture says it this way. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So this is where uh, we start getting into that whole like, hey, if I'm not going to be honest about my need for him, or not going to be honest about uh, my, my own brokenness, then I, not only do I deceive myself, but I diminish him. I make him a very small God that meets me in small areas. It's that whole idea, like I was saying before, of like, well, I'll do God a favor and tell him he's good. And so that's, that's, if that's, that's the, the opportunity to meet with him, oh, there's so much more that we can uh, interact with him around and, 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 uh, and not be limited by some of these things. So what then does praise look like? Okay, here we go. I think many of us that have uh, any kind of uh, church experiences, religious experiences, or not, honestly, uh, we all come with some sort of expectation, and without even realizing we're doing it, we're coming with some prescription about how we're supposed to worship God, or how we're supposed to praise God. And more often than not, uh, many of us that come from like higher church models uh, we, we wait for the priest to tell us that it's okay, then, to now engage in this. Um, and that's kind of been the way it's, 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 it's been for a while. Uh, I was going to show this video, and I, and I, I decided not to last minute, because um, was, I was really going to use it to show what not to think from it. Um, I don't know, it's very confusing. Uh, it, it was just this video of this guy saying... And he just says, I was watching TV, and I saw this tribe of people, and they were worshiping this God, and they were painting their faces and wearing outlandish costumes and, and presenting offerings to this God. And the whole time he's talking, there's these, you know, pictures of far-off tribes with crazy painted faces and big smoke offerings and all that. And then he, it stops, and then he goes, let's try this again. It rewinds. And he goes, I was watching TV, and I saw this tribe of people that were worshiping this unknown God, and it shows a football stadium. And they were painting their faces and wearing crazy outfits and, you know, making offerings to God and they showed a barbecue, you know. And, and it's funny and it's like, okay, I get it. I know that we're, uh, you know, why are we so crazy at the Packers game and yet we come here and we go, hmm, and how much greater is God? All that. And, I, and I, I get that. And quite honestly, I'm not even trying to make that a, a, a point, like that, that we should even be, be comparing the two. I think there's some things that we can learn I think that if we look at what happens at a football stadium, there is a, uh, a cultural acceptance and expectation of behavior. That's what you do at a football game. Now, to varying degrees, I don't paint my face and take my shirt off and all that kind of stuff. I, I may jump up and down a few times, uh, but, but I get it. I, I enjoy the game. And it's unfortunate that many of us from our church history 
the, the cultural expectation and even prescription was that you don't do that, is that you do stay silent and you wait till you're told to do anything. And so then we kind of, you know, as, as church history evolves and moves and, and you, you hear worship leaders like me say, just respond to God however you want. And you have this confusing mixed bag of influences telling you, okay, I, I love God, I want to do something, but I, I shouldn't really do anything until I'm told to. I don't think I can raise my hands because I wasn't, I, I never ever did that in my church growing up. And if I get down on my knees, I'm just going to look weird to these people. And it starts to become this very confusing, muddled experience, which it never was meant to be. It really was meant to be about our delight in him. C.S. Lewis says this, it says, I think that we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have a new author, to have discovered a new author, and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur, and they, then they have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever but we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. So how do you gauge yours and somebody else's enjoyment? Again, I don't really know. Because uh, I don't want to prescribe something to you that may not speak to your enjoyment, if that makes any sense. Uh, another way to talk about this is, 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 is our reality versus our promise. And not even versus our promise, and our promise. And here's what I mean. So hang with me for a second, okay? It's a little bit heady. As people that are saying that we have faith in Christ... We have an eternal promise and an eternal hope that keeps our eyes looking forward, that in the midst of all the stuff that may be going bad, we know that we have hope in Christ and that one day there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more bloodshed. There will be restoration and reconciliation. And so we cling to that hope. Now, there is also a very real, a very current cultural reality that you live in. Your world is not a facade. Your world is a very real place that you are interacting with that is filled with tears and pain and judgment and condemnation. But our eternal hope reminds us that this is not how it will always be. So when we start to, to feel that tension between the two, and when it comes to how our interaction with God in how we praise Him and how we glorify Him and how we worship Him, uh, you have to ask yourself this question. Am I going to allow my current cultural reality 
define how I interact with my eternal promise? Or am I going to let my eternal promise dictate how I interact with my current reality? Tracking with me? Making sense? So, and, and unfortunately, there's not an easy question or answer to that because the reality is it's both. It, it really is both. You can't remove yourself from one or the other right now. We have a hope that is guaranteed, and you have a current life and reality that is real. And just trying to say that, like, well, I'm gonna, my faith is in God and my hope is over here, and, and I'm using this as a, as a way to just try to escape reality and put blinders on and go, la, 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 la. Nothing but Jesus, nothing but Jesus is actually doing, if I can be so bold as to say, a disservice to the very reason that you were created. You were created and designed to be on this earth, to give him praise, to interact with others as well as with God. And so it's a, it's a, it's a posture, it's an attitude, and it's heart. How that then gets defined, it could be a lot of different things. Uh, whether or not you raise your hands or get on your knees or close your eyes or whatever, I, I don't know. But when there's an authentic um, response to the hugeness of who God is, to the the, the image and the label that we bear as crown of creation. Our heart and our attitude and our posture uh, will reflect that. And those are all kind of interchangeable, where it's like the attitude of our heart will dictate our posture. The posture of our heart will, will be reflected in our attitude, you know, and so on. You can kind of keep on flipping those around and making sentences out of them. Uh, to give you a little picture of what um, I think this looks like, uh, that's, that's my son, Joel. Oh, got me last service, too. He was the uh, star of the week in his junior kindergarten class. So that comes with a lot of responsibility. He has to lead the lines. He gets to choose the book. He gets to, uh, you know, do a lot of things. And one of the things was he got to pray for the class at the end. Christian school. Um, and I don't know if, uh, I know Cheryl's here. I don't know if, if Cheryl, uh, like, prescribed for him this posture. I don't believe she did. I think she just said, do you want to pray? And maybe this is kind of normal for them. But, and, and honestly, we don't, we don't really... We don't really, like, do this at home. It's not, like, something that he, like, picked up at home. And I, I was helping in his class this day. And so when she said, Joel, will you pray for our class? And, and he just went like this. Grabbed my phone right away. and I got to exploit this. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so beautiful to me because, one, I know how much I'm probably screwing up my kids, and yet there's still something beautiful and pure in his own response. Uh, and, 
the fact that he, you know, kind of of his own volition, just decided to do that, and uh, he doesn't know how entangled he is with sin yet. As in his world right now, he thinks that this is very normal and, and just the way life is, and so when you pray, you do this, and I'm like, oh, I get it when Jesus says, you got to come to me like a kid. Actually believing in that you're freed from the sin that I died for. And living in a way that you're freed from the, the sin that I died for and not being so entangled. Uh, and so that's, that's one example of what it looks like for me. And so, for you, many of you may, may be, uh, if you're tracking with me, you may be waiting for me to say, okay, so here's the list of behaviors that are acceptable. Remember that video that we watched at the beginning? I, I want you to be, uh, I, I want you to be honest about the, uh, <laughs> the big butt that may be stopping you, that may be entangling you from being able to interact and praise God the way you were designed to. Uh, perhaps it's, but that's not what I do. Or maybe it's, but that's just not the way I learned. Or maybe it's, but that's not the way my church did it. Or maybe, but that's not the way my family did it. But what if I look weird? I think so many times we allow our, our, our own perception to, to hinder us from wanting to express something that may be authentic. And, and, I, and I want you to know, too, that I'm not going to measure success by whether or not you're raising your hands or not. I think the measure of success comes in your surrender to God. And how that then expresses itself in praise and worship and in community. You know, it's the other thing about the Packer Stadium thing. It's a very communal effort. I suppose that there are some people that put on that kind of stuff at home and sit on their couch by themselves. I'm sure that can happen. But there's, there's something about, you know, showing up to the game and I got my gear on and we're going to do this. And so there is a... Uh, there's a communal aspect to what we do here. And if I'm going to look to try to create a model for you in terms of giving you direction on how maybe you could or you should be interacting to try to hopefully get over the big butts, uh, I want to show you this video. And it's set to a song that I love because the words speak so much to some of my own tortured soul, I guess. <laughs> It says, when the pieces seem too shattered to gather off the floor, and all that seems to matter is that I don't feel you anymore. I need a reason to sing. When I'm overcome by fear, and I hate everything I know, if this waiting lasts forever, I'm afraid I might let go. Will there be a victory? And will you sing it over me? Your peace is the melody with you, sing it over me now. I need a reason to sing. Uh, 
It's a beautiful song that speaks to that tension of the harshness of our reality and the sin that entangles us and yet the hope that exists in, in who he is. And so as you, right now, look, and I want you to use this as your own permission as to how to uh, respond. I want you just to watch this video.